Man, that is not even fair. Follow that. The bar's, oh man, I'm in trouble. Uh, we are so glad you're here. We have been uh, walking through a great book called the Book of Philippians. And it's just four chapters, but we've just been doing it in bite-sized chunks. And if you, this is your first time, been with us lots of times, I will say this to you. You can go back and listen to all of them online. I know some of you do, and we would love for you to, so you kind of know where I've been and what we've been talking about. And so we're in Philippians chapter four. We're doing the last about 10 or so verses of it. And um, I want you to think about something. We just sang a bunch of songs, and I, I decided to bring this up because I don't normally bring it up. Uh, we started off with Victory in Jesus, Whom Shall I Feel, No Longer Slaves, and then that song. Whew. And here's why that's important. Because all those, song, all those songs are tied to this idea that God is trustworthy. Amen. Okay? Whether you know it or not, what we planned this morning was intentional. What Keith does with my stuff and vice versa is, is, a, is this beautiful thing that we do called planning the service so that it's, it's centered around this idea that God is trustworthy. So here's what you ought to do after we're done today is go back, go back and look at those three songs and think about how God is trustworthy. It's really cool. I just sat there just listening and just smiling going, man, God, you are so trustworthy. God, you are because of course I had this inside thing. I knew what we were doing, but it was really cool just to go, wow, God, that is so cool. We've been walking through, and so those of you, this is your first day, or maybe you've not worked through the whole series, you get a pass, but the rest of you who've been with me for this, when we talk about choosing, is joy, is, is it a choice to choose to be joyful? It is. It's a choice. You can choose to be a stinker. You can choose to be happy. You can choose to be grumpy. You, it's a choice. And you can't say it's somebody else's fault. No, it's your choice. I tell my little girl that all the time. And she says, I, you're, I said, she goes, Dad, you're making me. And I said, no. She goes, I know. It's my choice. I'm like, you're right. It is. But we've been talking about this because Paul, uh, he chose to be joyful in, a, in really difficult circumstances. I, I'm bringing my bucket out one last time. Um, this, this idea that when Paul was in prison, he, had, he, had, he was chained on both sides, left arm and right arm, and he didn't go, woe is me, this is so unfair, life is not, this is man, God, this is, how am I going to, you know what, what some of us might be prone to think, God, how can, you, how can I do anything for you if I'm like this? And God's going, oh, yeah, you can because God believes, and I know God is true about this, that whatever circumstances you're in is an opportunity, even if, they're, if it's hard. And so he chose, he chose in his, in his state, slave, chained, I'm going to share the gospel with every soldier on either side of me until they've all heard about Jesus. And so it's an amazing thing to think about that. So the theme today is really what Paul says all in a nutshell is God trustworthy. Do you believe that God is trustworthy to work in your situation, your circumstances? Is he trustworthy? And that's what's going to drive this, this part here today. And so one of the theme things I wanted to say is that exposure to God's word is not enough. It, it's got to eventually lead to obedience. Do you trust it? Do you actually think that God's word is trustworthy? And we talked about this over the last four weeks, that Biblical joy is an attitude of choosing to be joyful. It's a choice. And I'm not talking about putting a smiley face on your phone. I'm talking about actually being joyful when it's difficult. When uh, I've shared lots of stories with you over the last several weeks about it's difficult to choose joy sometimes. 
But choosing to be joyful is really important because it, it, it's, it's here. It affects the soul and how people see you. But more importantly, your relationship with God. It also requires us to, to shift our focus, maybe off of our circumstances, back on to joy. And, and let me just tell you, uh, somebody asked me this last week as we back in Philippians. When you, when, how do you get rid of anxiety? And how do you, how do you get w- rid of worry? There isn't a magic pill. There's not a bullet that you can take and everything's going to be good. I will tell you from my own personal experience, it's a wave that you just keep constantly have to go back to God and say, okay, God, I can feel this rising up in me. And, and you, it's where you go back to. And I, I tell you, it doesn't go away. Just, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Everybody has cycles of worry and anxiety. And, but it's like, okay, am I going to let this just, am I gonna, just going to let it suffocate me? Or am I going to say, okay, God, you can do something with this. It's where you take it to is really important because if you try to do it yourself or, or get some help from somebody else, typically it doesn't go well. It's where God says, I can help you with this. And so where you send it to. And, it says, and then Paul says this. He says, live with gratitude for what Christ has done with you. We're going to celebrate that next week. You've got a little taste with, with the choir. We're going to celebrate that what Christ has done for us is significant. And I know that, I know this about myself, so it's probably true of you. Sunday, after next Sunday, it kind of wanes. So, yeah, Jesus died for me. Yay, I'm so happy. But we can kind of go back into normal life. No, it, we should have an awareness that Jesus did something extraordinary for us. And that whenever we start to walk, slide into self-pity or woe is me or life's not fair, that should be a reminder that the cross, something happened there for me personally that transformed me. So we're in Philippians chapter 4. We're in verse 10. We're going to be the last 13 verses, and we're going to walk through this. And and I love how Paul is. Paul is, this is, Philippians is really designed to be really encouraging. That might be why I like it so much. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You have indeed concern for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul is, uh, he's affirming this idea of rejoice. And what he's doing, he's talking to the, the church at Philippi. He's like, he goes, you wanted to help me, and it, and it was financial help, okay? It was helping him, whether it was for food or places to stay or ministry opportunities, whatever it was, they didn't really have an opportunity, but they, they wanted to. And so it's really funny because I, I never really thought about this until I was getting ready for Philippians. Philippians, this last part, I hate to tell you this, folks, it has a, a real flavor about tithing, about generosity, about what are you doing with what God's given you? What are you prepared to do? And I had not really ever caught this until I started reading and really breaking down what he says. He says, I, I, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You didn't have an opportunity. And I want you to think about that, that what are you doing with what God's entrusted to you? Because the one thing about people, the one thing that people get really kind of wired up about is money, especially their own, and how it's how it's used or not used. And I wrote down a couple of thoughts there. Being generous with your money is founded on a deepening understanding of what Christ is doing, what Christ has done for you, and what He's doing in your life. See, tithing isn't about well, you know, He's always. Some it's funny because somebody might be in your first and go, great. The one time I come, He's asking for money. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And it happens to be in a book that we're finishing up, and I had not realized that he's talking about that your resources are God's, and you're the steward of them. Okay? 
And you can say, well, I earned it. No, God gave you the ability to earn it. Well, I acquired all this stuff. I was, I was smart with money. No, God gave you the ability to do all of that. Okay? And if you, if you finished well in your season of life, God gave you the ability. If you're earning a job, God gave you the ability to do those things. And, he, and one of the things is, is that God is saying that what I've given you, what I've allowed you to do, is what are you going to do with it? How are you going to steward it? How are, you going to, how are you going to do something with it that's bigger than you? bigger than yourself. And he says this because that, that first, that verse chapter 10, verse chapter 10, verse 11, how about verse 10, easy for me to say, is tied to verse 17 because he says this as well. Being generous also lays up treasures in heaven. And somebody's like, in heaven? Not now? No, not necessarily because heaven is what God says, okay, what did you do with your life? And some people are like, well, God, if I do a bunch now for you, am I going to get something now? Not always. And it's normally not what you think it should be. I think most people think if I give a lot, then I'll get a lot. Maybe what you'll get is the assurance that God is trustworthy and that God is who he said he was. He may not give you this and that and this and that, but he may just say, it may affirm that God is trustworthy and that he is a part of your life. And I I know this as well. And it's funny because when, when we talk about coveting, coveting is the consistent thief of being generous. And coveting is looking at other people, looking at your bank account, looking at jobs, looking at where people live, looking at the vacations they take, the things they own. Coveting is an amazing thing because I can't have those things if I'm giving this away. And so we all fight that. How many of you have coveted, uh, let's, I'll start with the guys, uh, uh, um, a new tool? All right. Thank you for owning that. Thank you. How many of you have coveted where somebody has gone on vacation? All right. How many of you have coveted where somebody gets to eat at a restaurant? All right. How many of you have coveted somebody's got a nice outfit and go, man, I wish I could wear that. Yeah. See, coveting for all of us comes in all shapes and sizes. And what I might not struggle with, you will, and vice versa. And all of us have them. And yet, when we want something really, 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 really bad, something else is going to get lost. Something else is going to get caught. Something else isn't going to be given its rightful place. Because have you ever wanted something so bad that you justified why you got it? Have you ever wanted something? How many of you have ever had buyer's remorse? And don't look at your spouse. All right, come on now. Come on now. It was funny because I've had buyer's remorse. You buy that thing, you wanted it so bad, and you got it when you went, man, this thing doesn't do half of what I thought it did. You know, I, I was talking to uh, uh, my friend Randy. He, he says, you know, rarely do you buy a new car because... Uh, I, don't know what, I don't know what the percentage is. As soon as you drive it off the lot, it's not worth near what you paid for it. I mean, it's just, it just works that way. The point being is when you covet something and you want it so badly, generosity starts to slide. Am I right? It's true for all of us. And I think that when you think about that, we, and, and Paul was affirming the church because he's like, you guys have really been amazing. Now, along that lines, um, if you've ever been to a wedding or if you've ever been married, I, I, I wrote this down because I, I, I thought about this and getting ready for this. It says, we've heard this said a lot. 
for better, for worse, for richer, poor, and for sickness and in health. Now, all of us who are getting married or have been married, uh, we always thought about the richer part. We always thought about the, uh, the uh, better part, and we never thought about the sickness part. Well, we don't, we don't want those things. We want all the other good stuff out of that statement. But the reality is that's all true, isn't it, in marriage, in relationship? You don't necessarily, you better for worse, and we don't know how that's really going to play. You hope that the, you're, you're in the richer end and not the poorer end. Uh, you hope that the sickness is less than the health. And I think that when we think about our lives, is God trustworthy if we don't have as much as somebody else? Is God trustworthy if our health isn't as great as somebody else? Or is God trustworthy if our circumstances aren't all that we thought it would be? Because I'll tell you this, and I'll say it again at the end, is you're going to find out how trustworthy God is to you, not in the health of your life, but in the struggles of life. Is, is he trustworthy? Okay? And so look at what he says in verse 11. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, and that, that's a key word there, just keep that in mind, learn. Learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. That's hard. We, we live in a culture that tells us not to be content. You can get, you can get, you can earn, you can... I'm listening, there, I listen to a Christian radio station and they're, and they're, they're promoting this big um, 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 church conference in Texas. And the whole premise, which is striking me a little bit like, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm, I'm not planning to go, but it says, do you want to grow your business? Do you want your business to be all that it can be? Then the, the, when you grow your church like a business, I'm like going, whoa, back that train up. And, you know, as soon as you get that and those, I'm like, mm, no, okay. There might be business principles, but, and I think that when we, he says, when we learn to be content in how we do church and how we live our lives, when we live our lives in a state of contentment, things that used to get us all stirred up and worked up don't tend to get us as bad. And this is important. It says that Paul actually had to learn this. He, he just didn't get it. He had to learn how to, ha- how to live with less or more and vice versa. And verse 12 says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to be abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. And he gives you the answer of how. You know how? He says it in verse 13. I can do all things through him that gives me strength. And you know what that means? He believes that God is trustworthy. That's the only way he could say that. I can do all things through him. It gives me strength because he is saying that God is trustworthy. I believe God can do what he said he would do. I believe that God, in the midst of my chains, can actually do something in that moment. I can do that. So if you're taking notes, a couple things I just want to draw your attention to. God, godly contentment is about believing that Christ is enough. Godly contentment is about believing that Christ is enough. That you think that what God did, what Jesus did on the cross is enough. That you don't need to add to it. That you don't need to do more for it. That you don't have to make up any ground. And I'll tell you that, that the more you start to know that, contentment just starts to, you just start feeling that, okay, contentment, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to worry about, I'm not sure about these things. The second thing is this, contentment and this is important. Contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. Okay? Hear me on that. Your contentment isn't based on your circumstances. Because everyone in this room can tell me about your circumstances, 
But I've also known people that said I can be content even in, my, even in the hurricane of my life because I know that I know that God is trustworthy. He is right there with me. Right there. Right there. And so, because sometimes we get that flipped around that our circumstances should bring contentment. If that's true, you're going to get exhausted because they never, ever stop. Circumstances come, don't they? How many of you dealt with a circumstance this week of some kind? A lot of you of all shapes and sizes. And if it hasn't happened yet, it will. And so he's telling us, look, you got to be careful because if you let circumstances drive your contentment, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to be tired because it, it never ends. It's just always there. So you need to flip it that regardless of my circumstances, I'm going to find some peace in God, even when it's hard, even when I'm not sure how we're going to get here. And I'm not sure what's going to happen next. I'm, God's trustworthy. He says he is. He promised that he is. Paul's telling me that. And so he says, I can do all things to him who gives me strength. Great little verse if you want to highlight. And I'll tell you this about contentment, and this is true for all of us, it's learned. You just don't get it. You just don't go, I'm going to be content today. <laughs> Am I right? You know, how do you know about contentment? Is if you can push away from a plate of food. I'm full. I'm good. Even though there's a lot there. How many of you, how many of you blew right past that contentment plate this week? All right, good. You know, you looked at the food and you're like, I should not have had that extra. I want more. I'm good. I'm going to push back. Or you just went, you blew right past contentment. Contentment's learned. It happens over a seasons of life that all of us experience. And so look at what he's, he's building on this thing. He says, you, also, you can get through strength. He strengthens me. And then look what he says, verse 14. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. He's saying it was kind of you to share my, 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 not only in the trouble of ministry, but also the financial piece that you were willing to do something to actually help. He says, and you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. Only you. This is sobering words, by the way. That he says, he goes, no church was willing to walk with me. No church was willing to say his ministry is important. And I, it's funny because when we talk about our money, uh, I remember Andy Stanley said it years ago. He said, God asked you to give as a baseline of 10%. And, then in the, and that's in the Old Testament. You get in the New Testament, he says, be generous. It doesn't give you a baseline. He says, be generous. But he, he said, you know, God is asking you, he didn't ask for 20. He didn't ask for 50. He asked for, but he said, steward the other 90 well. Because here's what I've figured out. If you don't steward the other 90 well, the 10% gets lost. And that's what I've figured out. He said, he said, the 90%, you need to steward well, because I know, I know this from experience, that the other nine, if you don't steward the 90 well, the 10% is the one that they siphon out of to make up because they're not, they're, they're wanting, they're, 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 they do, they, they're trying to keep up their, their decisions, whatever it is. And he says, there was no church that was willing to help me, but you guys did. Thank you. Verse 16 says, and even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. He says, this, this is really beautiful. The church was doing this consistent thing. They believed so much that what Paul was doing and that he was doing something bigger than themselves. He goes, we want to be part of that. And it was really cool. Even though he doesn't even live near me. 
I'm going to help. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And Paul's needs were being met. And in verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He says, I wasn't seeking this, but you just did this, and you're part of the ministry. Uh, one of the things I love about when people give is they give, they give out of trust, they give out of obedience, they give out of love, and they, get, uh, they give out of wanting to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They do. They give out of being a part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, some of you are new, but um, since I've been here, we, we've remodeled a lot of our church and done a lot of things. We didn't borrow a dime, but you know the cool part is people just gave in addition to their offering to, so that we could get some stuff done and, and fix some things and help some things and do, be a part of things. And it's really cool because it's not one person. It's lots of people saying, God, I, I trust you so much that I'm going to give and be a part of this because I know that that's important. And there's something fun when you see God at work, and it's, it's, it's completely, you just see God, uh, the garage that we did is completely, I remember where we, our deacons were a year and a half ago, and all we were talking about was, you know, we've got this car ministry that's really cool, we give cars away to, to single moms who are in need, or families, and we just want to help, and, but we really have a good place to build or work, and, and now we're sitting with a three-car garage, completely paid for, and that's just amazing to me, amazing to me. Uh, about a year ago, that's where we were. We were looking at buying, anyway. I say that to you because it, 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 was, it was a collective thing. It wasn't just a person. It was persons doing their thing, saying, okay, I want to be a part of this. This is awesome. And I, I will say this, when it comes to, to understanding about your giving and about being a part of God's thing, it's, it's, this is really important. Don't be a consumer, because I know this. I was talking to one of my other friends this week, that if you are invested in this, you want to see it do something. You do. You want to see it actually go. You want to see it lift off and soar. I was telling David, and I was like, um, I want to see that ministry soar. I want to see it soar. I want to see it reach people. I want to see our, our ministry for our foster families. I want to see it soar. I want to see OCC soar. I want to see, uh, why do we have a wana in here? Because I want it to soar. It's funny to me, Brad and I used to talk about this. We used to have the WANA back in reception hall. Now it's just hard to even imagine. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine it in that room now. And I think what God can do when people come together and say, we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We believe that God is doing something and I want to be a part of it. And, I, and, and when we see things like we put the Awanam out every Wednesday night, and, and I, just, I just stand in amazement that uh, we were here for the women's tea yesterday, and it was like, wow, to see this room beautifully transformed for a women's ministry event, and watching God work, and seeing, but it took people saying, I'm going to give sacrificially, I'm going to give extra, I'm going to help, I'm going to do whatever, and it had, no, it had nothing to do with me, everything to do with kingdom of God. And so if you, if you, if you don't, if you want to see, if you're not going to be, don't be a consumer because a consumer says, what have you, based on the music and Danny's preaching will determine whether I tithe or not. Let me just tell you, that's highly unbiblical and just save your money because I'm not that good. And the only person you ought to be given to and the reason you ought to be given is because of God and not me. Okay. I don't preach very often on tithing. It just happens to be that chapter four 
it speaks to it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to the word of God. And he says that. He says, Don't be a consumer, be a co-laborer, be be part of it, bear fruit. We're in this together. And the other thing he says, you know, can you imagine if the Philippians would have said to Paul, Paul, you know, we really like to help you, but um not right now. Can you imagine how he says to them, no one else was helping me, but you did. I got to tell you, ministry doesn't go real far on sympathy. It doesn't go real far on sympathy. Or good intentions. Well, we'll be praying that you figure it out. No, how about this? Do your part. That's all God's asking you to do. Let me help you out on tithing. God is not asking you to make up the difference for anybody else. He's asking you just to do your thing. Do your part. Whatever that is, do your part. And so the mission gets, the ministry goes and sings based on that. And so Hebrews 6.10 says this, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Let me read that again. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown. That part of why we give and why we're a part of giving is we trust God to do something with it. We trust that God's going to do something bigger than ourselves. And then it shows that we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And here's the cool part. It brings glory and honor to God and it meets people's needs. Pretty cool stuff. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. He says they were he says the church of Philippians was generous. They went all out. He says, having received from Aphrodite the great gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Jesus Christ. He says, give sacrificially. God's going to meet your needs. And you're like, really, Danny? You don't understand my financial needs. Uh, yeah, I do, actually. I grew up, I remember when Beth and I first got married, man, man, we were on a budget, tight, no margin. We were, man, it was lean, mean, fighting machine. It was tough. And I remember one first couple years we were married, we were like, man, why do we have extra? Why do we have extra? We should have no extra. And we couldn't figure out why. And so we thought, well, we just have been really good. We have stewarded our money well. And because we have stewarded our money well, we are going out to dinner and celebrating. But both of us, I remember this, both of us were going, something's missing here because we should have no margin. We were just, that's just where we were. And both of us were like, okay, let's go out to eat and let's go do a little shopping because we just had this little bit and we, you know, we hadn't done in that in a long time. And I remember we went home and we both were like, mm, that money, something's not right. Sure enough, that bill had fallen behind on the floor that was due. Now, I, I, last I've checked, you cannot go back to a restaurant and get your refund. I can't, I don't think they're, they're not all that fond of that. We can take the clothes back, but oh man, oh, that was, God was meeting needs and he was meeting our needs and he met our needs. But I think there's an idea that God is, is asking you to trust Him even when it doesn't make sense. And it's, let, me, let me tell you, it is easy to trust God when you got it. It is not so easy to trust God when you don't. I know that personally. I, 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 um, I, when I went to the church in, um, in Kansas City, there's like, well, here's all we can pay. And I'm like, okay, that's a big pay cut. That's a big pay cut. 
you know, when you're used to this and you're going to this, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, well, let's figure this out. And we, were, and we had talked. And, and you, know, you know what the thing is God was saying to me is, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you really trust me? And this goes back, this goes back. See, trust is a revolving, it's, it's, it's like anxiety and fears and all those things. It's a constant thing. You, you have to keep going back to God and say, God, do I really trust you? Do I really trust you? Do I really trust you? You are trustworthy. You are trustworthy. Let me just help you out. You need to stop asking the question, is God trustworthy? And you need to keep saying, God is trustworthy. Okay? Because if you say, God, are you trustworthy? You're not really sure that he is. God, you are trustworthy. And I'm going to lean in on you. Sacrificial obedience is pleasing, is it a pleasing aroma to God that when you give, and man, when you give and you're like, man, God, I wanted to do this, but this is yours. And I'm going to honor you with it. And, you know, you need to remember that to, to fight those fears of, man, God, if I do this and I'm tight this and I'm this, and God's like, yeah, but do you trust me? Are you trust? I'm trustworthy. I really am. Paul's told you that. And then he says in verse 20, it says, to our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. He is affirming the soldiers that have come to faith in Christ. He says, God is with you. God cares for you. And verse 23 finishes this out. He says, the grace of the Lord will be with you. He will be with you in spirit. And so when, when Paul is saying this to you, he's saying, guys, trust God that he's with you in your circumstances. Well, Danny, I'm, I'm hijacked financially. I, I, I learned a long time ago that if you're not giving and you go, but Danny, 10%, that, no, I don't have 10%. Then start at 1% and work your way up until you're past it. I'd rather you be honoring God with some than with none. Because here's what I've learned is that if you say, I'm going to get right financially, then I'll start tithing, when will that be? When will that be? And so what happens is, is our trustworthiness is not based on God. It's based on what I do, what, what I can get ready for. God is only asking you to, to steward it well, to steward it so that God can do something. God doesn't need your money, but I will say this. It's hard to trust God when you're not being a part of something bigger than yourselves. Because if you're controlling all of it, you're like, God, this is mine. I earned it. I get to do with it. However. No, actually, it's God's. And I'm accountable to God for how I steward my money, not yours. You're responsible for yours. And so God is saying, are you going to do something with it? Because it is, a, it is a reflection of being trustworthy. And that's what he was telling the Philippians. He goes, thank you so much for being generous. Thank you so much for supporting me. Thank you for being a part of something bigger than yourself. And so if you're going, man, Dan, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not doing this thing. Let me just tell you, starting to tithe is a reflection of saying, God, I trust you. I'm, you are trustworthy. And I'm going to start doing, even if I start at a percent, and I'm just going to work my way up until you say, well done. Keep on rolling. And I think that's important because I, I wrote this down this morning out of my quiet time, and I kind of changed up my thing at the very end. I wrote this down. It says, how much we trust God is always revealed in our health, money, relationships, theology, occupation, and circumstances. And you will find that out when any one of those things goes south on you. You will find out how much you trust God when any one of those things, and you could probably add some more, go south on you. And each of those 
will be a struggle if you are not sure God is trustworthy. And the remedy for that is simply this, is have a deepening relationship with him. That's the only way that you get around that. That's the only way that's solved. That's the only way that you find breathable in those moments. Because when any one of those things goes south on you, you go, man, that's so unfair, God. Why are you blessing their, their family? Why is, why is his job? I got laid off on mine. Why, why, why can't I live where they live? God, why, why, why is my health not like theirs? And God is asking you, can you trust me in whatever circumstances of life you're in that whether you're chained like Paul was, can you trust him and do something in that moment and be a part of it? Can you be a part of something bigger than yourself? Paul chose to be a part of something bigger than himself. And he said this, and I'll say this with Paul David Tripp, and I'll close, and he said this so well. He says, you can trust God's care. He has freely offered his son for you and will not forget you. He will not forget you. You, you are his. He, he wanted you to be a part of his family. And so he's, he's like, I've not forgotten you. I'm like, well, oh, that's right. I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know about Brad's plight. Said, Let me help you out again. He is never surprised about what you're facing. He is never, ever going to say, oh, what should we do now? He is never going to go, boy, I've never been in this situation before. He's never going to say that. But he is going to say, I'm trustworthy. Will you let me walk with you? Regardless of your circumstances, will you be content enough with me to help you take a step? You know, and if it's with your finances, then so be it. If it's in life, so be it. If it's in health, so be it. If it's in your spiritual life, let me just say this. You will find out how trustworthy God is if you really understand the power of what Jesus did for us and what we celebrate next week. I'm telling you. If you understand that what Christ did for you was for you personally, you will know the freedom and you will stop trying to spin your wheels, trying to make sure you're good enough and make sure that you don't have as much sin in your life as maybe you should or whatever. God is saying, what I did for you is trustworthy. Do you trust me? And I know that myself or Brad or Keith or Corey, one of our great privileges would be to tell you or help you understand that God is trustworthy. And that when you find him trustworthy, contentment is right on its heels. Let's pray. Father, I know in a room this large, man, for some people, to think about financial, being a steward of, of their money and their resources and saying, God, man, I don't even know how we're all going to give you a dollar, let alone consistently. But somehow, God, what you're also saying in that moment is, do you trust me? Because I'm trustworthy. And I think that as we steward what you've entrusted to us, whether it's our finances, our time, our talent, skills, whatever it is, I pray that it is a reflection that we trust you because of who you are in our lives. And God, I pray that for some of this room, contentment has eluded them. They have tried to find it in acquisitions, in job titles, in retirement accounts, um, in where they live, the places they travel, the things they wear, the places they eat. And contentment has still eluded them. And I ask God today that there be some in this room that need to find contentment in you. And that starts with surrendering themselves to you. There may be some in this room, God, that they, they recognize that they need to take a, a, they need to take a step of, of trust in you and say, God, I'm going to give 
I've never given before and I'm going to start. Or maybe I am in a position to give in addition to what you've already asked of me because you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Whatever it is, God, whatever it is, whether it's health, finance, occupation, relationships, circumstances, whatever it is, I pray that we would know that you are trustworthy and that in our circumstances, we can find contentment. And I ask God for the next few moments that if we need to do business with you with about anything, even unrelated to what we talked about today, that we would have the, the awareness to respond to you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. This altar is available to you. Our pastors are here to pray with you. If you